Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Central Chamberlain. Vuelve. This is Cast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Normally, after we win a game at the weekend, it's a goodly morning, but given we didn't finish in the Champions League positions, I'm not sure it's... it's it, does it qualify as a goodly morning, or what? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. It, it's certainly a busy morning. Let's put it like that. <laughs> yeah, listen. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope you have got like a flask of coffee and a fucking sandwich there because there is so much going on. I feel like this could be a, a bit of an epic show. Oh, my God. There's just it's like, what? I know, mm. I know. It's good, though, you know. I mean, it's, it's. I prefer it this way, in a way, because we've got lots to talk about, lots to get through, but I've yeah. never really... I can't think of a time where there's been quite so much going on, on sort of different levels at Arsenal, you know, on the pitch, away from the pitch, all top to bottom, there is stuff to discuss. Yes, there really is. So what should we do? I guess start with the game yesterday. Mm. Um, I, I don't even think we've got time for idle chit-chat today, so we might as well just get into it and get into it from a footballing point of view. Uh, we had to win against Everton. We won against Everton. Of course, the results elsewhere did not go our way. Manchester City won. Liverpool won. Uh, that means we finished fifth. We finished in the Europa League. But the game itself, it started very brightly. Hector Bellerin scoring after eight minutes. Um, fantastic assist by Danny Welbeck. I mean, what vision. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, yeah, who knew that the goal was yawning three yards away from him, but he knew that Hector was behind him. Delicious dummy, really. Really, you have to say. Um, I mean, my heart was in my mouth a little bit of that one. I really did fear for Danny Well, but you know, he's not got the greatest reputation for finishing. And uh, fortunately, Hector Bellerin snapped it up and spared his blushes considerably. Yes, he did. Now that's a good, that's a good start to a game. The mood was quite good. Uh, the sun was shining. Everything felt a okay. And then a moment of. I guess you can only call it madness from Lauren Koscielny, sent off after 14 minutes for a challenge yeah. on Enner Valencia. Um, now, another crowd booed Valencia for most of the rest of the game, but it was a bit pantomime. I think in some ways it was a way of n not dealing with the the ramifications of Koscielny being sent off. I mean, uh, in, the, in the very short term, you're down to 10 men, but of course what it means in the bigger picture is that Koscielny is out of the FA Cup final. Uh, what did you make of that tackle? I just couldn't understand it. I mean, the thing is, what I would say about Koscielny is, if you look back over his Arsenal career, yes, there is a, a lot of instances of moments where he seemed a little hot-headed or, or made an inexplicable error, but there's also a lot of instances where he slides in on a player like that and makes a clean and brilliant challenge. You know, it's something that he mm. does have in his locker. So I think... 
you know, he's, he's obviously not gone out to hurt the player or anything like it. I think he genuinely, his head has miscalculated and thought, I can make this. Mm. Um, but what it's just taking that risk, isn't it, with so much at stake for him personally. It was obviously a, a huge error to take that gamble because he lost big time. Mm, he, he completely mistimed it. Like you, I don't think there was anything malicious in it, but you, you question the need to do it at all. Monreal was right behind the guy. He could have, you know, tried to just push him down the wing. He didn't have to mm. go sliding in, given the area of the pitch that it was in. It's not like he was through on goal. You know, it was a, it was a high-risk tackle in a fairly low-risk situation. And, you know, I don't suppose you go out to play a game of football and think, well, I can't do this or I can't do that or I'm going to miss the FA Cup final. I don't think you can really approach a game like that. You have to play it your, your natural way. But certainly for a player of his experience and his importance for him to... To get that one so badly wrong um, is is a real shame. Um, not, but for yesterday, yeah, I mean, what, in in the context of yesterday, it's not really relevant because it wouldn't have mattered anyway if yeah, Everton had gone on and won the game against 10 men. It would not have mattered where we ended up. But uh, to miss the cup final is a big, big blow for, for the team. Well, yeah, for the team, it's a huge blow. I mean, apart from Alexis Sanchez, who, don't worry, got himself injured later on too. Koscielny's <laughs> uh, probably our most important outfield player, isn't it? And, and also, um, you know, we've got this new back three system, which is so contingent on the centre-halves. I mean, we, we have coped without him at times, but you'd think he'd be so important to that. And I think personally, too, he would have been captain. You know, he would have led the team out at mm. Wembley. That's a massive moment in a, any player's career, whatever has happened to the FA Cup in recent years. He would have been absolutely, you know, desperate to do that. So I, I do feel for him. Uh, it was a big mistake. It's funny because I remember reading on your blog on the morning of the game the thing of, you know, will players be a little less committed uh, because they've got the yeah. cup final in their minds? Will they pull out of those 50-50s? And oh. I don't know, maybe the team talk before, you know, you can imagine Steve Bold being there, Arsene Wenger saying, look... You know, don't let their cup final be in your mind. We've got to go for it today. Be full-blooded. <laughs> and in the case of Koscielny, it's backfired in a big way. Oh God, is that um, your roundabout way of saying I jinxed it? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, I should just be more direct. No, not at all, but it's just that thing, you know, I, I had the same thought, but uh, you, I suppose you couldn't question his, his commitment. It's his decision-making that mm. was all off. And for me, I don't think there could be any debate that that's a red card. I mean, that's a, you know, a, a, a reckless tackle. Yeah, absolutely. I took a screenshot of it, actually, when uh, when I got downloaded the game this morning and, and took a screenshot of it. And he, he's literally half a foot off the ground. I know he's not going in two-footed, but he's leapt in um, at full pace. And if you don't get the ball, you're going to get the man and it's going to, you're just always going to get sent off for that kind of challenge. I think uh, had it been the other way around, we would have wanted a red card for an Everton player. Um, yeah, so. it's, it's almost his second leg that's um, as big a problem. I don't, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like he goes with the first leg, but the second leg, it sort of goes in with his knee and that catches at quite a height too. So yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a good tackle. And, you know, funnily enough, I was chatting to Amy Lawrence about it at half time yesterday. Bit of a clang there, name drop. But she, um, she was saying she reckoned that he probably knew as soon as he leapt off the ground. As soon as he went in for the tackle, he probably knew. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they're making these calculations so fast. He must have had that moment of, oh God, I've made a mistake. And uh, yeah, I, I do feel for him because he's been one of the few players who's acquitted themselves pretty well throughout the season. And you know, he's, he's taken the captain's armband and generally. 
he's managed to lead by example. But yeah. uh, there have been some key moments where he's gone missing. You think of this for the Cup final, and then of course the Bayern Munich game too. And what pivotal games in our seasons those those are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still think he was a little bit unlucky and uh, to be sent off. Uh, against Bayern Munich, but he can have no mm. complaints uh, about yesterday. And of course, that was compounded then by a second half injury to Gabriel, who had been uh, really good because we went to a back four, holding in Gabriel mm. at centre half. Gabriel, uh, there was one moment, I think, where he took off down the, could have been against Morales, and he made a the, the kind of sliding challenge that Cristiano wanted to make, I think, against yeah. Valencia. He got it absolutely right, and he was aggressive. He was trying to get in front of the uh, attackers, win the ball high up the pitch, and it was doing that, that that saw him get injured as well. We don't know yet what the full extent of his injury is, but when he's stretched off the way he's stretched off and holding his head in his hands, I think we can safely say that he is not going to make Saturday uh, at Wembley. That as well compounded by perhaps an issue with Shkodran Mustafi, who's uh, concussed at the moment after the Sunderland game and was too ill to play yesterday. So we are looking at a little bit of a, a defensive crisis there. But, you know, when you lose one central defender, the last thing you want to do is lose another one the way we did. And uh, again, for Gabriel, you've got to feel sorry for him. You know, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a really, uh, it's a really unfortunate one. So um, he, he looked devastated actually mm. when he was coming off on the stretcher, I, and it was literally like Koscielny uh, went off, and Gabriel kind of sensed his opportunity. He was yeah. playing brilliantly from mm. that moment on, and you thought, oh. Well, you know, at least someone's responding kind of to the challenge here. Uh, and he would have had that final place in his mind too. So mm. it was a nasty twist of that knee. You know, I, I, Arsene Wenger didn't seem too despondent about it, but it, it didn't it didn't look good to me, you know, in person. Yeah, well, I mean, I think post-game, I'm not sure he would have had too much information on it yet. Uh, yeah. But, you know, w- w- when you see a player come off like that, you know, it's... Uh, He's probably toast, unfortunately. Um, mm. So Everton got a goal back, a handball by Rob Holding, penalty by Lukaku. Then it was just this weird thing where Liverpool had scored just before half time, and around the time Gabriel went off, they scored two goals in relatively quick succession. So you knew that was that because Watford, Watford were being hammered by Manchester City, and with Liverpool winning, that was that. I mean, our I won't say our result became irrelevant, uh, certainly became irrelevant in, in terms of the top four, but it, it did put a dampener on things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, there was that little bit of buzz when we, when we went ahead and Liverpool were struggling to beat Middlesbrough. I mean, let's not forget as well, they ought to have had a penalty, right, at Anfield. It seemed pretty clear as day to me. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. And I found it briefly annoying, but then yeah. the reality of our season and our situation meant that I don't think we can point to that and say, oh, if only Martin Atkinson wasn't such a shit ref, you know. Of course. That, that's of course. that's out of our hands and other things were in our hands during the course of the season. And I think, you know, we can be, you can be aggrieved at that if you want to be, but I think it's missing the point. I think so. I, I, I'm more meant that there was just a kind of sense in the stadium of, oh, this, you know, this could be on. This kind of mm. great escape, if you will, of avoiding relegation to the Europa League. Well, yeah. I mean, look, if that had happened, then certainly would have changed the trajectory of that game. But I don't think we can point to that as the defining reason for us not being in the Champions League next season. 
No, not 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 at all. <laughs> not at all. But I, um, yeah, and then it, I guess once they scored, I mean Liverpool scored. <clears throat> at right either side of half time, mm. it, it did kind of kill the prospect. I mean, City, Watford, Watford really put any nail in the coffin. The idea City might slip up with an extraordinary performance at home in their last game. I wonder what their lap of appreciation was like. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, look, it was a tall order, and we knew that. We knew that going in. Uh, we won the game with mm. ten men in yeah, quite I mean, impressive yeah. fashion. You know, yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's a, a reasonable point to make that the ten men did very well. I mean, Everton weren't necessarily that up for it either. Um, it did have a bit of an end of season feel to it in general, the game and the team selection and the way that Everton played. But we had to soak up some pressure, and I think uh, I think we did pretty well overall. And then sealed the game late on with a with a very nice uh, Aaron Ramsey goal. Uh, his first uh, Premier League goal of the season. Yeah, brilliant goal, actually. Brilliant goal. I mean, what else is remarkable from the game? I suppose that uh, Per Mertzaka came on. Good yeah. to see him again. His, fir- his first Premier League appearance of the season. Yeah. And here we are, and he could be thrust into action at Wembley in the FA Cup final. Um, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, got, that's, to be, table that's got to be part of the reality. I mean, if we don't have... If we don't have uh, Gabriel, which I don't think we will, we certainly don't have Koscielny. So that leaves us with Holding and Mustafi. If Mustafi is fit, um, if he's well enough to play, because what happens with the uh, players who who suffer a concussion, like uh, Mustafi had a concussion against um, Sunderland. When, when was the Sunderland game? Tuesday. Tuesday. So he wasn't well enough to play yesterday. He's been ill apparently since that head injury. That the concussion has has left him not well enough to play. Now there's a thing called the uh, GRTP protocol, which is the graduated return to play protocol, which players have to go through. Uh, before they're cleared for action again. We had it earlier in the season when Hector Bellerin got knocked unconscious by Marcus Alonso. He was obviously a little bit concussed, but you go through various stages, and if you complete each stage, then you can return to play. But if a player is feeling so sick he can't play four, five, six days uh, after picking up the injury in the first place, then he's got to be a doubt for Wembley. So we could be looking at Mertesacker being part of the uh, the back three or back four, depending on what Arsene Wenger decides he's going to do, uh, depending on the personnel that he has. But maybe that's something we can yeah. discuss on um, on Thursday when we... Uh, yeah. We do the other one. But yeah, no, good to see Mertesacker back. Um, didn't put a foot wrong when he came on, which was good. And uh, thankfully, he didn't get injured. That was also good. That was good. I mean, he was one of the few. I mean, there was <laughs> knocks for uh, Granite Xhaka, wasn't there? He came off with a problem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how serious that one was. Mm. I, I couldn't really tell. And unfortunately, Arsene Wenger's post-match press conference was kind of so eventful that no one really got around to asking about the injury specifically. But... Um, there were, there were sort of other fireworks to see. But I, I think uh, Xhaka went off and then Alexis, I mean, that's the one that really had me sort of crossing all my fingers and, and hoping he's OK because he was clutching. I think that same thigh, wasn't it? Yeah, it could well be. And I think that that's obviously an ongoing issue. I suppose if we can take some... If we can take some uh, comfort or solace... Uh, you remember when Alexis went to... Was it after the Manchester United game? He did his hamstring mm. and... Uh, he was all strapped up, wasn't he? He Chile? was all strapped up and he went to Chile and played two games and played fantastically well for Chile. I think he scored a couple of goals or, you know, but he didn't seem to have any issue when he came back. So he is in some ways a quick healer and whatever happens, I think they're going to 
they're going to patch him up as best they can for Wembley because to be without Koscielny and then to be without Alexis would be a a massive, massive blow. Um, so that I mean that was that. Then the game was over. We didn't make the top four. We're in the Europa League next season. Uh, a strange kind of sensation, not knowing. Yeah, how or, did that? I, how, how did that feel to you? Like when it actually was, you know. I think fact, it, as I, it th- I think I had resigned myself to it a long time ago. Really, to be honest. Um, right. When I spoke on this podcast and you asked me a few weeks ago, do we have any chance of making the top four? I said no chance, and I think I was pretty much resigned to it there. In some ways. Um, because of the way the Champions League has gone over the last number of years, uh, it's difficult to say I'm going to miss it. You know what I mean? I can yeah, see I the, I can see how damaging it is from a sporting point of view, not so much from a financial point of view anymore because of the money that comes in from BT and Sky. The, the Champions League money does not give you that distinction, that separation between you know the top four and the rest of the Premier League. It doesn't create that gulf anymore. But you know, from a reputational point of view, from the point of view of attracting new players who, who might want to be in the Champions League, from keeping players who might want to play in the I can see all that, but... I, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of the Europa League, but I'm sort of interested in something different in a way. Um, you know, we're in it. We've got to deal with it. Simple as that. And, the, you know, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't inconsolable weeping at the end of the uh, of the game or anything. You know, the world keeps turning. It is what it is. And we just got to get on with it. And, you know, ultimately, if I felt in some way there was an injustice or something that had robbed us of Champions League football, maybe then I'd be feeling a little bit more aggrieved, but it's completely and utterly on us and what we did throughout the season. So we made our bed, we've got to lie in it. No, I mean, when I think about our season and try and take in the broader context of it, I almost think, you know, this this recent run of games and run of form, seven wins from eight or whatever it is, feels kind of anomalous. I mean, it feels kind of weird that we got as close to it as we did, yeah. given how we were playing earlier this season. And I, I, I mean, I suppose the only thing I kind of think is that when it when it kicks off next season, and you know, Liverpool are in it, and Tottenham are in it, and uh, those games are on telly and blah blah blah. I think that will sting a little bit for me uh, because it it is the sort of home of the, the elite club, mm. but. I mean, like you, I'm kind of interested in a different adventure. I mean, I'm surprised you're not more annoyed about your whole cast schedule. I mean, that's well, I am. I'm I'm (laughs) completely furious about that because it is going to mean that we're (laughs) things will have to be a little bit different. Because if we're if we're playing on a Thursday night, then um, you you can't do a podcast on a Thursday night while there's a game going on. So for the Europa League weeks, we are going to have an cast either on a Friday, maybe Saturday. I'm not quite sure. We'll have to we'll have to figure it out. But uh, look, that's. uh, that's a challenge that I will have to overcome as much as the team and the uh, football club itself will have to over- <laughs> overcome. We all have challenges. Uh, indeed, indeed. But look, we, we won't leave people short of podcasts. They just might be on a different schedule than people are used to for years. But I mean, isn't that something like since the podcast, since the Arscast started in 2006, over 10 years now, that... There's been no, there's been nothing that has impinged on that schedule. We've always had Champions League football. It's the uh, 98-99 season since we didn't have Champions League football. I think, oh no, it was actually 97-98 season was the last time we didn't have Champions League football. That was a season, of course, in which we did the double. So, um, look, it, it'll be different. I'm not going to say it's going to be better, but it will certainly be different and perhaps the change is as good as the rest for some people. After the game, then, we had this lap of appreciation 
association and this is where things start to get a little bit interesting as we head into the into the podcast thing and I know you mentioned mm-hmm. I know you mentioned that actually before we do that we should probably talk about um the the songs the chants about Stan oh, Kroenke God, yeah um I, it is genuinely difficult to remember everything that happened. Yes, yeah, there's so much going on. Holy shit. Um, you know, whatever, there's obviously been a lot of focus on the manager and people are vexed with him and fed up with him and want a new manager, but it has never, ever really transmitted itself into the stadium during a game. There haven't been uh, vast swathes of the fans inside the Emirates singing Arsene Wenger, we want you to go or anything like that. But mm. how telling was it that Stan Kroenke, g- get out of our club, just rang around the stadium at various stages yesterday? Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? And it was interesting kind of when it happened. You know, there was, I could sense a kind of duality among the fans of we, we want to get this chant across, we want to get it out there, but we also don't want to do anything kind of to the detriment of the team. I think it was basically once Liverpool were kind of home and dry, it was interesting that that chant started to come to the fore. And it was loud, let me tell you. Well, being there in person, mm. it started... It started in the North Bank, I think, and then it and then it kind of just spread around the ground. And by the end, it felt pretty unanimous. It was as loud as any other chant on the day, louder even. Yeah. And there's no way that that message won't have registered somewhere. I'm not going to say heard, because that implies that they would listen or necessarily care, but it definitely must have registered somewhere in the upper echelons of the club. And it feels like a watershed moment. It feels like, you know, it was interesting yesterday, the, 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 the subject of the manager... Uh, during the game, at any least, didn't really rear its head. The focus was on the owner, and it was mm. a shift in focus. And one that I think is probably quite important, not to take anything away from the manager's situation or the debate around that, but there is definitely not even a secondary debate. It's something of equal importance, maybe even greater importance mm. in, in the case of the owner. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, I think among the away fans, that sentiment has kind of been there, but at, at the home stadium, it did feel like a big kind of turning point, Mm. really. Yeah, I mean, it's something that people have united behind, I guess, is is the owner and his intentions. And, of course, there was talk of the bid from Alisher Uzmanov last week Mm. um, on Friday. There are other interested parties. Kroenke has released a statement today. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but um, let me just uh, see if I can read this out here. It's just as we were going on to record, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's released a statement. Uh, Here it is. Boom, boom, ba-dum, boom, boom. Okay, uh, KSE UK Inc. Isn't that something? <laughs> not, yeah. not like I, Stan Kroenke, or I as the proud owner of this football club. KSA UK Inc. notes the recent media speculation concerning its shareholding in Arsenal Holdings PLC and confirms that its shares are not and never have been for sale. KSE is a committed long-term investor in Arsenal and will remain so. Um, so, well, what that means... Thank you for your interest in our fans. Yeah, kind of. I mean, look, yeah. it's not like, <laughs> again, you know, it's it's not like, look, we, we have uh, great plans for Arsenal Football Club. We have ambition for Arsenal Football Club. It's like, no, we, we, are, we are not interested in selling our shareholding in Arsenal Holdings PLC. You know, there's just nothing there whatsoever from a sporting point of view. But I think this is something we might come back to because uh, there's bound to be there's bound to be some questions about this. And there's a lot going on uh, behind the scenes when it comes to 
the ownership, obviously Usmanov's interest in buying up the shares, whether his motives are simply to take control of Arsenal or whether it's manoeuvring over something else. I think we might come back to this in the, in the second part of the season, but certainly to mention it yesterday in context of the game and to hear those songs ringing out, anti-cronky songs ringing out uh, around the Emirates was, was really something. Um, I mean, in many ways, I think Cronky and Cronky and his cronies will be uh, sort of delighted that they managed to hold out until the last game of the season before this was heard. You know, yeah. and I think that's probably the saving grace for them that they know there's only the cup final to go, and then it's a summer where it is just fundamentally more difficult for fans to make those feelings known. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting few weeks but as you say I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to this discussion point soon or, enough. Yeah so then there was the lap of appreciation the players went around the pitch with their kids and waved to the fans and thanked the fans etc etc Arsene Wenger you noted did not make the uh, the journey with them I think probably a sensible decision based on what's happened this season you know I don't think it was any kind of he wasn't like it wasn't a lack of respect from Arsene Wenger. In many ways, it was a show of respect because he's aware of the uh, the feeling among sections of the fan base that you know for him to wander out there and wave and smile at fans who have been fucked off with him for uh, large periods of this season. You know, you d- you don't put your stick in the hornet's nest. You know, N- no, and I, you know, I think what he said after the game, he was very much kind of talking up his players and saying he wanted them to have this moment. Uh, with the fans, and I think he felt his appearance there would would colour that. I mean, I suppose the, the only thing you'd say about that is, what does that say? You know, I mean, that that just tells you everything about the fractured relationship, doesn't it, between the supporters and the manager? I mean, it's kind of disturbing that the manager can't walk round the pitch with his own players and mm. be certain it won't turn sour. Yeah, well, look, that is the that's the reality of the situation. Um, yeah, yeah, it does say a lot. It does. You can't. Ooh, hello. Um, you can't Sorry. ignore the. <laughs> you can't ignore what it says. But I think, in the context, in the circumstances, it was probably the right thing for him to do. Not to take any of the focus away from the players. We'd won a game. We're still heading towards an FA Cup final. There's that in mind. Um, you know. We achieved 75 points this season, which is four more than we got last season when we finished second, and it is the highest points total never to have finished in the top four, which isn't to say the season hasn't been disappointing or underwhelming uh, in many ways. Of course it has. Um, But, you know, I I, I think it was the right thing for him to do was just to sort of stay very much on the fringes of that and not sort of parade around. You know, we get... We get annoyed at people in football and players and managers and who just don't show any self-awareness, who seem to be in some ways detached from the reality of the situations they find themselves in, because they they do exist in bubbles to a certain extent. I think yesterday showed that Arsene Wenger, uh, yeah, he, he was fully cognizant of, of what it might mean, so... I mean, I guess the, the other thing to say is that if... I, mean, I don't know how many people believe this is still a, a prospect, a possibility, but if this was Arsene Wenger's last game at the Emirates Stadium, there was no... Uh, there was no farewell of any kind, was there? There was no opportunity for it. No, but that was something he was asked in his um, press conference afterwards. He was going, you didn't have a chance to say farewell? And he was like, no, no, you know, as if that wasn't the thing. And, I, you know, if it does turn out to be his final game at the Emirates, it would be mm. a shame. 
that there wasn't a chance for fans to show appreciation. Even if, I think, you know, a vast majority of fans, even if they uh, think Wenger should go, would like to show him some appreciation um, for what he's done down the years. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that there, I, I, there is yeah. that prospect. I, I guess the issue is that, you know, they, 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 a lot of fans probably only feel they could do that if some clarity... Yeah. Was offered, and I, I suppose the, the question of clarity brings us neatly on to Arsene Wenger's press conference. Yeah, well, you were there, so I'm going to let you sort of set the mood on this <laughs> one. You were you were in the room, and uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was started really... relatively normally, but yeah, well, I, all I can you'll have to forgive me if some of the specifics escape me now. It's definitely worth a watch if if you can see the video online. It felt as if Arsene Wenger. Um, I felt like he wanted to get something off his chest. I felt like he was talking around a subject without ever fully uh, divulging something. But it felt like we were close to it. I mean, the most interesting thing I thought he said is that he said the team did exceptionally well this season because they played in a psychologically difficult environment. I think he called it a a horrendous Mm. environment in terms of psychological pressure. And he said... My my personal situation was certainly a part of that. Mm. Uh, so effectively saying that the uncertainty over his future played into the problems for the team. Now, mm. that's a big departure from what he'd been saying all season long. And mm. I think you can understand he doesn't want to draw attention to that. But if if that is the case, and if he knew that to be the case, or at least knows that now, the real question becomes why why not resolve it sooner? Why well, not yeah. answer those those problems, you know? Mm, I mean, that, it was really interesting because it was a complete change of tack because he completely denied as well that that his uh, situation was having an effect. Um, so mm. I wonder, was it a message to the board, perhaps? What, by, by making it public? Um, yeah, it's hard to know, really, isn't it? That maybe the decision not to provide clarity on his future is is somewhat out of his hands. Maybe that's what he's hinting at. Yeah, well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm. For a guy who says, I'll tell you in March or April, or you'll know in March and April, results start to go bad. Suddenly it's like, I don't know when I can tell you. Mm. Uh, I know what I would do, but I, I can't confirm anything. It does feel almost as if maybe... I don't know. The goalposts have been moved, or I, that would be—that was kind of how I came out of it feeling. And I, I think really nobody knows what's going on in this situation. I mean, let me just say there are newspapers today or journalists today saying like, "Well, this casts you know new light on Wenger's future." Who um, a few days ago there were stories saying Wenger is 100% staying. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot of guesswork here because I just don't think anyone knows absolutely. And and every story I read. You know, we, we both, you and I both work in and around the club or close to the club. We hear things, but I, I'm not. I don't think there's anyone out there who's got the right line on this. I think it's, it's there's things we don't know. And what was interesting about yesterday was I felt like we were close from Arsene Wenger to hearing some of those things. I mean, there was one moment at the press conference where there was like a collective gasp of frustration from the press because Arsene was in particularly revelatory mode and talking about machinations behind the scenes and saying, you know, there are things I can't talk about yet. And then someone piped up with a question about the back three and everyone's heads went to their hands because it was like, oh, he was on the... It was like having a boxer on the ropes. Yeah, but, you know, again, I saw, you know, some people complaining about that and, you know, sniping at so-called journalists and what have you, which I thought was a bit, you know, come on. Yeah, 
the people being a little bit overprotective of their territory there. But, you know, if, if he's saying specifically, there are things I can't tell you, he is not going to tell you. Regardless of whether somebody asks a question about the back three, he's not going to say anything. He's he said it a number of times. Today is not the day. That, you know, yeah. I, what went wrong, I will tell you one day. It, you know, he wasn't going to all of a sudden go, like, break down like some fucking idiot in a Law & Order episode. Oh, my God, you've worn me down with your good cop, bad cop routine. Come on. You know, I mean, I get no, that. I don't think that's the case, but I think that... It's a question. I think it felt like he was right, waiting for the right question to be asked. That that's more what I mean. I think that there is a question. He wouldn't just say, "All right, you've got me." You know, I yeah. I am Yoyo Sonogo's dad. <laughs> I just think that, like, <laughs> I just think that he. <sighs> I don't know when he says, "I'll tell you one day." I'll tell you one day. Oh, what, what does that? What mean? is that thing? And what is when is that day? Yeah, please. Please make that day soon, because like a warts and all, no holes barred Arsene Wenger book, I suspect will be the greatest football book of all time. Certainly one of the best Arsenal books of all time, because how many times has he said that? And he said it quite a number of times recently, isn't he? Hasn't he? You know, I'll tell you one day. I can't tell you at the moment. You know, there are things that, you know, what went wrong? Well, there are things I could talk about, but I, I'll have to tell you. And you're going, what is this? And I, I you yeah. know, to me, it feels like there is definitely... Things are not harmonious at Arsenal Football Club. Frostiness between Arsene Wenger and the board is, you know, we hear stories about it, but I think that's absolutely right. I think there are issues between the manager and the chief executive and perhaps a couple of members of the board. Things are not quite the way they used to be in terms of how they view Arsene Wenger. The reasons behind that, I don't know if we can understand yet. I really don't, because it feels to me like there are people out there who are trying to or have gone in a di- in a way that will make it reflect well on them, if that makes sense. So, I, you know, I think, for example, that Ivan Gazidis and his silence has been an absolute disgrace, a complete disgrace for for the chief executive of this football club not to have said a word about anything that's going on for months and months and months to hide away in his office to say absolutely nothing while the manager is out there front and center week in week out taking questions saying I can't tell you I'm not going to tell you today you know as much as it's his job to provide clarity it is the job of the chief executive who's running supposedly running the football club so I think there are there are issues there I think things are broken down in a big way. And I think that is a big yeah. factor in why we're not getting any of this clarity. I mean, I came out of the press conference yesterday and I thought one of... I mean, I, I don't know how true this is. This is guesswork. But I felt like one of two things has happened. In the one instance, uh, potentially the club have gone into their shells, withdrawn, been a bit silent, not, not been as uh, forthcoming with arsene as he might expect when the results started to turn because maybe they realised, oh, this guy's kind of omnipotent at this club and we need to create some sense of pressure upon him. We need to make him feel mm. like if we give him a new contract, it's been somehow earned or, you know, rather than just a, a given that he would receive it. So having made noises about it earlier in the season, we're going to kind of 
we'd privately withdraw our support a little bit and then make a call at the end of the season, probably to give it to him, uh, but just make it, you know, try and change the power dynamic within the club. So that was that's one thing I think might have happened. The other thing, I came out yesterday and I thought, I'm not convinced at all that this manager is going to be here next season. The, the language that he used... You know, even when he corrected himself at one point, he was talking about what you need to do for next season, and I think he said we need to keep this. And he changed to you need to keep this squad of players together. And I just felt like there was a little bit of distance. Mm. He start he started talking about the club uh, rather than using we in some of his interviews, and I think that probably speaks partly to the distance he's feeling with the board, but maybe also about his own position. I think genuinely he doesn't. I think there's a chance that he doesn't know. At this point, what's going to happen? Um, maybe that's crazy, but I just think that it's, it's it's assumed by everyone that he knows he's staying. But I don't know. Yesterday, I got the sense of really. I think every option is still open. Yeah, there was a, an interview that he did post game. It was either you know with the media, the, the usual sort of post game Sky interview, but obviously it wasn't on Sky. But you know, it's the, mm. the Premier League uh, TV people put it together, and he looked absolutely shattered, like. Mm shattered and you're looking at him thinking why would you why would you want to go on look at what the job mm-hmm. is doing to you you're in an environment that's uh, you know toxic from uh from some of the fans it's toxic from sections of the media you're you're not getting on with some of the players it seems or there have been issues with some of the players this season uh the the issues between him and the board are, I mean, what happens if, well, I mean, someone's got to go, right? So is it the, is it Gazidis and Sir Chips or is it Arsene Wenger? It's, it's a really, really unhealthy situation, I think. Uh, I don't think Arsene Wenger looks particularly healthy. Like you, I came away from watching his press conference yesterday and the, um, that post-game interview, and I, I, I had doubts as well. I have doubts as well. I mean, do you think they, the contract offer was on the table and they withdrew it? Would that explain some of it? I think... I don't know if it would be as literal as that. You know, here's a contract. Oh, sorry, we're taking it away. I think maybe it's more a thing of... It was kind of assumed, you know, it was kind of a thing if they talked about it. Yeah, we're keen for you to stay on. Arsenal will stay on. OK, we'll top, you know, we'll cross the T's and dot the I's, put another million pounds on the contract, you know, as and when. And probably talks haven't been that forthcoming. I mean, if they've not sat down with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, if they've not sat down with Wojciech Szczesny, if they've not sat down with Jack Wilshire, I think there's every chance they haven't sat down with Arsene Wenger. Mm. Um, I, I think that's kind of maybe where we are and I think maybe he the noises we're hearing from him makes me think well maybe yeah him, his intention was to stay mm. but maybe that hasn't been as warmly received as he imagined it would be and now we're in this weird impasse yeah and I, but I can't make any sense of that because it makes no sense for the club unless the club have something lined up but that was <laughs> you know if there's a manager out there who uh, we've already tapped up who really likes uh, shared Kolasinic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it doesn't really make any sense. And, I mean, yeah, the, all the all the transfer activity, the fact that we're bringing in somebody on a, on a free transfer would suggest that Arsene knows he's going to be there. But then so much of this speaks against that. Mm. And, and, the, and the, the other thing about will he stay, will he go, you know, Arsene came out with the line yesterday, which I feel 
will be kind of an immortal line, really. But he said, whether whether I leave one day or not, I will love this club until the last day of my life. Mm. Uh, and there's not too much of that in football these days. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse. I'm not saying that that's a reason to keep somebody in charge. You know, I don't believe that Alexis Sanchez will love Arsenal until the last day of his life, but no. I want to stay until the last day of his career. Um, but... I do believe Arsene Wenger when he says it. Yeah. And I think if he stays, we might almost get into this perverse situation where he is exhausted. He doesn't want to stay. The club is, the situation is toxic. He knows the fans don't want him to stay. Mm. But I do wonder if he might feel, I have to stay to keep this thing going. I mean, do you mean to keep it going for himself or to ensure that the club continues on a relatively stable I'm in trajectory? The la- I'm in the latter. I mean, the former comes into it. Yeah. But I wonder if he's looking at the situation and going, there's a chance that he'll go, I mean, in an ideal world, I would go. <laughs> but yeah. I-, I don't know. I don't know. I-, I do wonder if it's like, I want a new manager, but I also fear... I, I, you know, with all this unrest, I mean, we haven't really even talked about the border in much, but with all the unrest above Arsene Wenger, you have to fear the alternative too. To well, absolutely, yeah. How can anyone not look at the the shambles that is our board and be just be terrified? There, it's it's scary to think that if Arsene Wenger, let's say, turns around and says, "That's it, I'm done. Don't renew my contract. I won't accept a new contract. I'm going to walk away." Ivan Gazidis and Sir Chips. And Josh Kroenke sitting down together to strategically plan the future for Arsenal Football Club. Fuck me. That's terrifying. It is. I wonder, yeah, and I wonder, I mean, the, the one thing you do read in the media is that Josh Kroenke is becoming an increasing Wanker. influence. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Increasingly influential wanker behind the scenes. <laughs> and, I, and I do... I mean, at least he's wanking behind the scenes, not in front of the scenes. But, like, I, uh, I, I do wonder if that might explain the changing dynamic between Arsenal and the board, as well as the, as well as the results, of course. You know, because the results aren't that dramatically different to the previous few seasons. So I do wonder if that kind of new voice yeah. maybe explains but, I mean, who some the of the changes. F- who the, the fuck is... Like, whatever you think about Arsene Wenger, who the fuck is Josh Kroenke to start telling him... What what the best thing to do is when it comes to running a football club? What the fuck does he know about it? Well, very true. But who the fuck is Alisher Usmanov to tell you on how to run a football club? You know, I, well, you know, whenever you've got people in charge, I mean, they're not going to be football people. You know, that's going to mm, be an issue, and that's well, that, why that this kind of director of football appointment. Well, yeah, is so important. Yeah, well, I mean, there was an interesting uh, thing, wasn't there, in the in the press conference last Friday when he talked about. You know, when I when I talk about the objections I have to a director of football, it's somebody who comes in and, you know, does all the things a manager should do. But, you know, I'm open to help. I'm open to, to those sort of things. So he sort of clarified his position there. So whether that had some something to do with what's happening at board level. But, you know, there's just so much going on. You know, I thought his other comment as, as well when he said, you know, I've turned down every club in the world. And that was quite pointed. I turned down every club in the world to stay here with limited financial resources. Um, some people will say, well, look, you, you, you stayed and got £8 million a year and you've had money to spend, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think that was a message to the board. I don't think that was him going, look how selfless I've been. I think it was a message to the board to say, 
I, I've turned down these clubs during more difficult years at Arsenal, and now we've had, I won't say one bad season, but one season where we fall out of the Champions League and you're prevaricating, you're creating chaos behind the scenes, you've damaged the relationship between us. Uh, you know, I think, there's a, I think there's a lot going on, a really lot going on, and um, quite how it's going to play itself out, I have no idea, because we've got the Cup Final on Friday, or Saturday rather, and then a board meeting next week. Stan Kroenke will be in town for that. And wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting? I mean, there's a, it's, there's a hell of an agenda, isn't there? Mm. Uh, I mean, I look, people around the club have said to me they think there'll be news on the manager confirmed within days of the final. It's a bank yeah. holiday, I think, immediately after the final uh, on the Monday. But I would think by the middle of that week... Surely we have to know. I mean, I heard Amy Lawrence actually on your podcast the other week say she thinks within a couple of weeks. I think it's got to be quicker than that. Oh, yeah, I do too. I think it will be. I think it will be that week that some some kind of clarity has to be made about what's going to happen at the football club, who is staying, who is going, who's in charge. You know, and, and I don't even think what happens in the cup final is a factor. I really don't. Um so no, I don't it's know. bigger than that yeah, now. It's, yeah. it's bigger than results. Uh, there's a power struggle going on that's bigger than that. I, I mean, you know, we write down predictions and we make guesses on this podcast, and I don't, I don't think we can possibly really call this one. I, think, I, I certainly don't think I can. No, I've got. Look, as, as much as we all know and like to think we know and hear things and read everything that's written and analyze the situation from left, right, up, down, whatever. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this at, at Arsenal Football Club in terms of what what one decision means one way or the other. Because if Wenger stays, it, it's a big thing. And if Wenger goes, it's, a, it's an even bigger thing. And yeah, I, I think we've just got to wait and see. We've got no choice. Just wait and see what happens and then react to it then because... Uh, yeah. It's so I'm absurd sort of, though, isn't it? How much hangs on it. How much hangs on it? And do you think, like, you know, I mean, we're talking about the players, like so many players with their futures up in the air. And do you think also there's any possibility that mooted takeover stuff feeds into it, that, they're, you know, where we can't possibly extend the manager's contract until we know he's going to be owning the club? Maybe. I mean, that certainly has set the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of the way people perceive Cronky's ownership. Because before Friday... Nobody really had considered the idea that Kroenke might sell. Yeah. That wasn't even a thing. It was just like, well, Kroenke, yeah, well, he's he's there. It would be great if he fucked off and somebody else came in. But all of a sudden now, that that cat is very much uh, amongst the pigeons. But again, I might save that for a question. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Well, look, I think we've yeah we've, we've exhausted. We've, we've kind of. I think we've done a decent part one. We have, but we have to before we go into part two. We have to touch on, I suppose, the big issue of the weekend. Go on. John Terry. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Oh, sorry. I'm heaving. I think I'm going to be sick. Um, <laughs> what a wanker. Wow. What an absolute wanker. And, I know. Substitute in the 26th minute. And did you... Hear, but he, it was, it was yeah, his idea all along. His, imagine. I mean, selfless... <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Look, the thing about um, it is, is that he didn't do it in the 26th minute. He did it in the 27th minute. because I the, knew they'd make that error. Yeah, the clock went to 26, 
26 so something means 26 yeah. minutes have gone so you're now in the 27th minute the fucking Egypt. So somewhere between 25.01 and 25.59 is when you do it. That's the 26 minute. But what a load of self-indulgent shite. Uh, you know, to, to imagine going around to the player. Here, lads, this is what we're going to do. On the 26th minute, I'm gonna put the, we're going to put the ball out and you guys give me a, a guard of honor, a parade off the pitch. Fuck that. If I was Sunderland, I would have kept playing. Just fucking take a throw in or whatever it was and go up the other end and score while they're, while they're uh, doing a guard of honor. I mean, that's what they should have done. And what an absolute cunt anyway. That if, it, if this is going to be your last game for the club that you've played out your whole career, right? Why wouldn't you want to do the 90 minutes? Why wouldn't you want to just play the game, savor the moment, savor the football, you know, soak up the applause from the fucking Egypt fans who think you're so great and just play your game and, and at the end of it, you can wave to the crowd and you can do whatever the fuck you need to do because you've played a game of football. They absolutely just took the piss. And, uh, yeah, what a wank. Well, I think it's almost out of fear of the potential result, isn't it? It's going like, well, you know, it's the last game of the season. Will we be up for it? I don't, I, it I don't want to be associated with it. It was Sunderland. It was Sunderland. And they've already won the title. Like, they were going to lift a cup they, at the end anyway. And Sutherland oh. brought on a player yesterday called Gooch, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Uh, he came on against Gooch. Yeah, he came on against us as well. Did he come on against yeah, us too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. wow. Great name. Great name. Good to see him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's absurd. I mean, I've just gone on the BBC website and checked, and Terry actually was substituted in the 28th minute. So sorry, <laughs> mate, you got it wrong. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Anyway, what a cunt. Um, I think it was just yeah. worth. Farewell. Yeah, Farewell. Yeah, no. Fair, fair bad. Fair bad. <laughs> it was worth just taking a break from Arsenal to uh, to remind ourselves of what an abject prick he is and uh, what an embarrassment that was. I think in, in time, when you look back, apparently, though, it was nine years to the day when he changed the order for the penalty shootout in the Champions League final, slipped on his arse and missed the penalty, then sat crying in the rain. Nine years to the day, he managed to do something more embarrassing than that. More embarrassing than the time he actually got changed into his full kit with shin pads and everything to come on when Chelsea actually won the Champions League. Of course, he didn't play, but he still was there like the ultimate full kit wanker. He man, he's topped it all. Incredible. His his ability to make an absolute cunt of himself is unparalleled. Who knows what he's going to yeah. do in his retirement? I just I'm I'm looking forward to that so we can laugh at him some more. Yeah, I fear we we haven't seen the last of him. Uh, but yes, good to see him off the playing side anyway. Right. Okay. Let's take a break. Let's come back to questions and more in part two right after this. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of what is turning out to be a fairly epic show. Sorry we can't provide you with the kind of clarity that you would like regarding everything that's going on, but that's just the Arsenal way. It's, you know, it's what happens. Um, Obfuscation. That's absolutely. The, that's the new way. Yeah. If we knew, we would tell you, though. That's the thing. We're not like the others. We would tell you if we knew, but, uh, of course, we, we don't. Um, We're going to replace victory through harmony with mediocrity through conflict. That's the new slogan. <laughs> under the badge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Confusion through silence. The new Arsenal model. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah. this is this is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. So would you like to start today, James? Uh, yeah, I will do, actually. Um, uh, this question comes from Jamie Kafash, who's Jay Kafash on Twitter. And he asks, is it possible to be rich enough to buy the majority of Arsenal shares and be an ethically sound person? That is a really good question. Um, You know, when people, when you're dealing in those kind of sums of money, the billions of pounds that it would require to take over Arsenal, you know, there's always an element of it, isn't there, that's a bit distasteful. So, you know, at the time when Kroenke and Uzmanov were battling for shares, uh, we have a question here as well from, I should just tie this one in, uh, T. Marks, who's at TJG Marks, who says, why are they so against selling to Uzmanov? At the time, Uzmanov was viewed as someone who wasn't necessarily... um, representative of what Arsenal Football Club stood for, I guess. You know, he's a a Russian oligarch. He made his money in dubious ways. There were issues about his character. There were very big question marks about certain aspects of his character, which we can't go into here because um, Uzmanov uh, is very, very litigious. Um, I, I know when we linked to a story which cast some doubt over his past, certain incidents that happened in his past, we were immediately threatened with legal action. And, you know, he has got ties to Putin. He's got ties to the Kremlin. He's made all his money in um, in ways that aren't necessarily above board, in many ways like uh, Roman Abramovich. So there were concerns at the time over Uzmanov's character. And I think what what's missing perhaps from this discussion at the moment is it seems to be framed in a, is it Uzmanov or is it Kroenke? As if those are the only two choices. And Uzmanov obviously is coming across as much more palatable now simply because he is not Kroenke doesn't necessarily mean that he is somebody who you would, if you could choose anybody to be in charge of Arsenal, would it be him? But then it goes back to the question, is anybody with that kind of money truly ethical? And I, I, ju- I just don't know the answer. I think there comes a point where people will put aside their moral objections to things. Like, I mean, how many times down the years of Arsenal fans 
I won't say laughed, but criticized Chelsea and criticized Abramovich and criticized blood money and criticized all those things that are associated with an owner like Roman Abramovich. That it was distasteful to us as football fans. It was distasteful to us as as people. If you've got a moral conscience, if you've got a, a moral center, then you're you're right to feel in some ways um, disturbed by that. But now, of course, Chelsea have won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League for the second time in three years to add to all the other Premier And people will go, well, fuck it. Actually, I don't give a fuck where the money comes from. I don't care where it comes from as long as my football team is successful. Is that the right way to look at things? You know, I can't tell someone that they can and can't feel that way. All you can do is have your own conscience in these kind of things. Um, yeah. So it's it like a case of, uh, you know, it would be a case of if you can't beat them, join them to, to an extent. Yeah. Because we can't, we certainly can't beat them. No. And I mean, I was really surprised today. I don't know if you saw uh, the comments from Bob Wilson, who in my no. head is like the, uh, the embodiment of everything to do with Arsenal. You know, he's the guy who kind of manifests the kind of class we associate with the old Arsenal. Mm. I'm pretty sure he was saying, you know, Arsenal need to start talking to Usmanov and, he, you know, Usmanov loves his football and, you know, kind of talking up Usmanov's bid, which I think, you know, that feels significant to me. Yeah, no. a guy who's part of the Arsenal sort of, you know, he's not, he's not a board member, but he's got the same, he probably should be, do you know what I mean? He's got mm. that kind of distinction and that kind of association with the club. And even but he's he got 30% of the shares. You know, by, by any rights, he should be a member of the board. But because uh, there's uh, an issue between uh, Usmanov and Kroenke, and I think just to go back to the question from T. Marks, why are they so against selling to Usmanov? It was basically Danny Fisman, his dying wishes were that Usmanov would not take control of Arsenal. So the... The board members at that time, the shareholders at that time, made sure that Kroenke was the guy who bought the shares because that was that mm. was what Danny Fisman wanted, uh, a man who really um, put his uh, you know put his life into into Arsenal Football Club when he bought into it. You know he was a, he was a big Arsenal fan. And look, you know I I'm not going to lie and say that oh it would be great if Usmanov took over. That would leave me feeling very. Um, what's the word? Uneasy, I think. But is the reality of Premier League football these days that you have to, you either get on board that train where dubious people with dubious money are the owners and are able to make the biggest clubs successful because of the investment that they, they can put in, because of the deep resources they have? Or do you just try and do it your own way, the way that we've tried to do it? I mean, you know, you could also make the argument that the reason we haven't won is not necessarily down to Stan Kroenke in, a, in, in the overall sense. It's not necessarily down to the, to the ownership of the club. And I think there are issues. I'm not defending Kroenke in any way. But, you know, you, maybe you can look beyond that for reasons why we haven't been as successful over the, over the, the last number of years and how we've tried to do things. But maybe going forward, when Manchester City are owned by um, the uh, Abu Dhabi, isn't it? Uh, they've got all the money from there. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea Abramovich. Uh, there is uh, Manchester United, who are just a powerhouse anyway. Um, yeah, it's it's very difficult under under American ownership as well. You know? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, one thing I think we do know, and one thing I think that makes Usmanov seem palatable is that 
obviously we don't know, but we, st- we strongly get the impression that he would be uh, determined to make Arsenal a sporting force because that would suit his purposes, right? Much like Roman Abramovich. Um, yeah. Obviously there's no guarantee of investment on that scale uh, or anything like it, but I think... We know what he says, though. That's I mean, that's the thing. That's we it, don't yeah. know what he... He's, he says things. That's a start. Well, he does, but I mean, it's it's in some ways it's a bit like being an opposition politician, isn't it? That you can... You can you can become populist. You can say the right things, but once you get into power, are you going to necessarily do those things? And you know, maybe Usmanov would come in, he'd splash the cash around, and you know, invest. He would he would uh, you know sanction the sale of or, or the purchase of this player and that player, and break transfer records. We, we don't we don't necessarily know that that's the case. I mean, the interesting thing for me is that. Uh, you know, Kroenke will, as far as I'm aware, I, I would be 99.99999% certain that he will never, ever, ever, ever sell to Ali Shiruzmanov. So I think... Uzma- Why? Just because of personal... Yeah, personal issue. animus, because of the dislike between the two men. There is no relationship between them. There's never been, in the years since Kroenke took over, there's never been an olive branch from Kroenke to Uzmanov. He has essentially frozen him out completely, and I don't know why, if his relationship or if he views the guy in that way, he would all of a sudden be willing to sell to him, even if it were for a large profit, which which I think we have to point out that Kroenke probably doesn't really need. It's not as if this is costing him any money. Of course, he's got his issues with his stadium in the US and everything else, but I don't think he will ever, ever sell to Usmanov. He might well sell to somebody else. And I'm aware that there is a third party or third parties who are also interested in making a bid for the club. Now, whether they're ready to do that or quite how ready they are, I can't say. We may hear something this week. We may hear something next week. But that, I think, is the option. That, I think, is the way out. If people want a way out of Kroenke and his ownership, it's not going to be to Usmanov. It's, it's going to be to somebody else. But it's down to that somebody else to convince Kroenke, A, financially, that this is the right move. You know, everything has its price, regardless of how rich you are. Mm. And B, that the... Like, I think, I think Kroenke would want some assurances that if they were to buy his shares, they wouldn't take Usmanov on board as a 30% owner and give well, him a place it. on the board, yeah. you know? But my feeling as well is that an information that I've had over the, the last few months is that Usmanov is aware that he's a dead duck at Arsenal. His holding is is just basically uh, money that he's invested into the equity of the club, but he's never going to have any influence. He's never going to be able to exert any power at Arsenal, even if another group came in and bought Kroenke shares. Uzmanov, even if he was brought on board, would still only be a 30% holder. His partner in Red and White Securities, uh, his ex-partner in Red and White Securities, Farhad Mashiri, has bought 49.9% of Everton. And my feeling, my gut feeling, and some information that I have is that Usmanov would be prepared to sell his Arsenal holdings to the right people so he could then go to Everton. And with Moshiri, they would have complete control over Everton Football Club, who are going to build a new stadium. They're going to redevelop their stadium. They're going to pump money into it. And uh, as we've seen at Man City, they could make that club, if they finance it in the right way, they could make that club into... Uh, a real power force uh, in English football because 
ultimately money talks. So that's where I think the situation is with Arsenal and the ownership and what's going on with Kroenke. But of course, he's come out today and said that my shares are never for sale. I think there's a little bit of posturing going on there, but it's really all reliant on on somebody else doing enough to convince Kroenke to sell. I mean, one interesting note on the Uspinov thing is that he's always been publicly, at least, very, very supportive of Arsene Wenger. Mm. Uh, and, and I suspect, you know, I mean, he's said Arsene, he's really been full of praise for him. And I think if he did somehow wrest control of the club, I, I think he'd probably keep Arsene on. So that people might have mixed feelings about that one. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation. I mean, Uspinov, so do you think that his bid for Arsenal is a... a a serious bit. I mean, uh, you know, he's professed yeah. his his love for Arsenal, and he would take it presumably if if in some fancy world Cronky said yes, right? I think it was a serious bid, but one made, um, kind of like a last ditch, thing. sort of like a last ditch, but also knowing that it would open things up, that it would in some ways get things moving, because, like I said to you, until Friday, nobody really had any had any thought that Cronky's ownership might be. An issue. I mean, obviously an issue in the sense that people don't like the way that he operates and shows no real sporting ambition. But I don't think it crossed anybody's mind that he might be he might be able to or, or somebody might be able to get him to leave the club or somebody might be able to take that over. And that was then manifested in the songs that people sang. I don't think those songs that were uh, sung at the game yesterday would have been sung without the Usmanov bid. I think the Usman bid was about to raise the profile of everything to, as I said earlier, to put the cat amongst the pigeons and to start the conversation, to start perhaps the process of other people getting involved or certainly focusing those other people on making something happen, which ultimately, like Usmanov wins both ways, right? He either wins and uh, Kroenke accepts his bid and he takes over, or he wins, somebody else comes along, and he can sell his shares and and uh, uh, and move off to Everton. I suppose the other thing that we haven't really considered is whether or not Usmanov might sell his shareholding to another party who could then come in and take that 30%, perhaps have a place on the board, perhaps have some influence, but again, it will be down to Kroenke uh, being open to that because you could come in and buy Usmanov shares and he could freeze new people out just the same way that he did with uh, with, with with Usmanov, you know? So it's a really Absolutely. complicated situation. Really complicated. But there are things going on. It's a complicated situation and one feels like it that it can't resolve itself as quickly as, say, the managerial one. Yeah. It feels like it will take more time for this to play out. Yeah. So that managerial decision probably has to may be made first, kind of irrespective of what happens with the ownership. Mm. All right. Um, right, here's a question from Josh Ostini. And he said, not to dwell on things, but given we missed out on Champions League by one point, what was our most annoying loss slash draw for you? Of the season? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people will point to the opening day, I think, yeah. um, simply because it felt like we were... Ill-prepared, you know, as has been the case so many times down the years. And I guess also because it's sort of a six-point swing, isn't it, to Liverpool. But uh, what else was in there? I mean, would that be on your list? Yeah, it would have been. I like you. I've seen a lot of people talk about that. The the inability to prepare properly for the season had an impact ultimately at the end of the mm. season. I think it's 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 hard to escape that. You know, we talked about it on the podcast. I wrote about it, uh, about how... 
not being prepared properly for the start of the season has cost us. Uh, I was looking back over the post on the in the wake of the Liverpool defeat. I think we've only won uh, one in the last seven on the opening day of the season. So it's a, it's an it's an issue that we've had, an ongoing issue yeah. that we haven't addressed. And we continue to make that same mistake. So, yes, that was a, an annoying one. But there's another part of me that thinks, okay, when you are in a position where you've fulfilled your squad, you've got it, you've got the center half, you've got the striker in, you know, we had a big full squad. I think points dropped with that squad are a little bit more frustrating for me, particularly against so called lower opposition. I mean, you think about Watford. I mean, what a bag of shit Watford are this season. They've got absolutely. Just they're shite, and we lost at home to them. We lost to West Brom. We lost to Crystal Palace, um, Bournemouth away. I think even Leicester away on the second day of the season. Again, that comes back to the preparation and not being fully ready. But you know, I, I, I look at those games as well and feel very frustrated by the points that we dropped there because with that squad, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have dropped that many points in those games. Like, you think even yeah. one or two points from those games, it's like, oh. I think, uh, for me as well, the the Everton match in December where we lost to that late, late goal mm. at Goodison Park, just because that felt like a bit of a turning point. You know, we'd been on a bit of a roll heading into that. Uh, we beat, you know, West Ham 5-1, and we beat Basel 4-1, Stoke 3-1, and then we went and lost that. It was two huge games in a week, wasn't it? Everton yeah. and Man City, and we lost them both. And I'm not sure our season really recovered from that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's that's definitely up there for me. But that, 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 that sort of fundamental issue of not being at the races on the opening day, I mean, that's something Arsenal have to address. One out of seven's not, it's not good enough, is it, for a club of our stature? Yeah. No. I suppose it's stature, I should say. <laughs> Indeed, perceived stature, the stature that we yes. would all like it to have, yeah. The stature we aspire to, let's put it like that. Mm. Um, uh, this is an interesting question, this is from Becky Thomas, I am Beckish on Twitter. She asks, did Arsene Wenger imply a ref conspiracy post-Taylor push with something happened in December, which is why we lost? No. I don't know if that's clear. You think No. I think, I think no. no as well. I think, I think no. no as well. Because the when was that Taylor push? It was in February or something, wasn't it? It was a game against Burnley at home. Um, uh, so that game was... I'm just looking it up here. Arsenal versus Burnley. 22nd of January. January, yeah. And he said December. And he said, like, again, it was one of those things. Uh, you know, I'll tell you one day what happened. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd really like to know now if that's all right, if you wouldn't mind telling me now. Yeah. But no, I don't I don't think there was a refereeing conspiracy. I don't think refereeing conspiracies is why we've uh, failed to finish in the top four. Or more pertinently, you know, we talk about the one point that we're missing to finish in the top four or two points are missing to finish in the top four. You know, the, the, the gap between us and Chelsea is the points gap that we really should be looking at. And that's... Um, that's the big one. But no, I don't think there was uh, any conspiracy. But uh, on that, here's a question from uh, da -da, da -da, uh, DJ Tears. Oh, he pr probably just plays really sad songs all the time. I guess so. Although yeah. although he's Tears with a Z, so maybe they're like drum and bass. And so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> really sad, groovy songs. Um, yeah. He says, is one, day, is one day I will tell you the new I didn't see it? Is it just a deflection or will he really tell it all one day? 
I actually don't know if he ever will. I, I know we talk about this Arsene Wenger book, and I would love for it to be mm. a reality. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I think part of his loyalty to the club might prove to be his secrecy. Um, I think he might keep quiet on mm. that unless things end in a very acrimonious manner, and he, you know, seeks to kind of set the record straight. Uh, I, I th- I'm sure. I think there are things. Sadly, I think there are things that we'll never know. Yeah. About you. Yeah. I can't see it. I really can't see it. Um... He seems to, in some ways, have a bit of a distaste for those kind of books. You know, there was obviously the Tony Adams thing that that went live last week, and uh, you know, he said something along the lines of, I, "I'm not here to sell books." Um, so I, I would love to read it. I really would. I think it would be a, a an incredible book. Um, but I, I just, he doesn't strike me as a sort of man to to do that kind of warts and all, no holes barred kind of kind of thing you know I mean it's not like somebody is going to be a he doesn't need the money so yeah I, I, I can't see it unfortunately much as I'd love to yeah um, it's your question actually I was going to just throw more at you like I'm interrogating like, like I'm in a press conference and you're Arsene Wenger uh, but no over to you alright did I not just ask that question about DJ Tears I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I thought I just asked. Oh the yeah, question. you did. Yeah. yeah, I I am wrong. I yeah. am wrong. I yeah. am wrong. Okay. Well, what about this then? Okay. Slow roller. Slow roller. On okay. Twitter. Um, I don't know what. Kind of, I assume it's like forward rolls. They're just going really slowly along, doing this like like a human tumbleweed. Mm. Uh, and they <laughs> ask uh, thoughts on the number of pens conceded this year. The last four years go one, three, five. And then this year, 10. Random brain farts or systemic? Um, it, it, it's a lot of penalties to concede in one season, so it would make you think that it is slightly an outlier in terms of, of how many we've given away. Uh, mm. I think a few of them have been a bit dodgy, but a number of them clearly haven't. Uh, I, I wonder if, in some ways, it's symptomatic of desperate defending. That yeah. you know that that might be the issue. That we're in positions where we have to put make a fifty-fifty decision and go fuck. I've got to go for it. So I think it might have a bit to do with the way we've defended this season. Uh, I'd be really curious to see when those penalties were awarded. How many of them came during the the really dodgy months of the season? Um, That's it. How many have we given away since we switched to the back three, for example? Yeah, obviously, there was the one on the last day, but were there any others? Gabriel um, um, on on Harry Kane, of course, at Spurs. Yeah, Lane. yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think about you know how many if goals we've conceded. Yeah, Munich. when they were given away. Who gave them away as well? That would be another interesting thing to see, I guess. Yeah, there was Bayern Munich, wasn't there? Um, mm. hmm, yeah. So, yeah, look, uh, I think it's probably got as much to do with the way we're set up defensively as anything else, but that is an extraordinary amount of penalties to give away. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's Obviously, it's difficult to interpret, but I think it is... Defending born out of desperation or perhaps even panic at times. Mm. Uh, but we have slightly steadied the ship in that regard. Sure. Okay. Jace at Jace AFC wants to know, thoughts on Arsene Wenger suggesting we need only one or two signings this summer to be in a position to win the league? I mean, 
mean, he says that every summer, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, that's his fundamental philosophy, is that he, in his ideal world, he would not bring in more than three players. Uh, you know, he wouldn't destabilise the squad. Mm. That's what he always says. Uh, I, I mean, there's no way that's true if Arsenal... Well... Let's put it like this. Uh, it depends on what you believe. It depends on if you believe the problem is the playing personnel, the playing staff. Mm. It, I think for most of this season, it's felt like people have said, oh, we've got a, quite a strong squad that aren't being properly coached or coached well enough, say, for us to win the league. Uh, and I think I still kind of stand by that. I think the reason that his statement is wrong is that I think we're going to lose a lot of players this summer. Or several players. Yeah, I mean, I think his his suggestion is based on keeping everyone together or, or the majority of them together. What I thought was interesting, though, was he said, we need one or two, but top quality. Like, not, mm. n- with the greatest of respect, not a Lucas Perez, who I like. No. I like Lucas Perez, but obviously that's not the player he feels that can take us to the next level. You know, those... I mean, if you bring in a, a couple of players on the level of Ozil and Sanchez, then maybe you can bring in those one or two and keep everyone else together. I think that's yeah, probably what he was getting at. Fair. So if you can do that, then yes, I can <clears throat> I can see how that makes sense. Um, we've already brought in, or, well, it's not official yet, but the, the left-back, um, Kolasinac. Uh, so what we add on top of that is, is going to be interesting. But, of course, there are big issues about who's going to stay and uh, who's going to go. So, uh, look, fuck, I, I just don't know. Anything could happen. All bets are off this summer when it comes to the uh, to the transfer window. And when Josh Kroenke appoints John Gregory uh, and Sammy Lee as the new managerial <laughs> team, um, pretty much all, all bets are off. Everything's out the window. Yeah, look, I think uh, you're right. I think if you sign a world-class striker and a world-class central midfielder, this Arsenal team has a very different feel to it. Uh, but equally, it might have a very different feel to it with very similar personnel and a different coach. Uh, mm. well, time will time will tell on that front. All right. Give us another one. Uh, uh, OK, I mean, I enjoyed this one from Nav Shiv uh, <laughs> on Twitter, who just said, not really much going on at the moment, so nothing from me. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I did like that as well. I, I saw like that, that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, What about this? Average gunner. A bit of positivity. It's been a shit season, but what's the one thing that's reminded you why you love Arsenal Football Club? Oh. um. (laughs) The silence is deafening. I'll tell you what it was. I went over for the the whole game in... February, I think it was, was in February when we beat Hull 2-0. Mm. Um, and I was back at Stansted Airport getting a Ryanair flight back to, to Dublin and I got talking to a guy in the queue to get on the plane and he was there with his little fella and his little fella had one of... He had um, a poo emoji cushion or teddy bear. So you know sure. the you know the like the curly turd poo emoji that you can well send. aware yeah well aware I mean yeah, yeah we've used that I think uh, it's in frequent use yes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh what was that that was me shutting a glasses case but it's got quite the snap on it I do it have to really be careful does. with my fingers holy crap yeah. um, sorry guys. And I was talking to him and the little fella was over and he had like a really great day and he was a young guy young kid coming over for his first game and he was just so excited to see you know, a win and see the team win. It wasn't the greatest game of all time, but, you know, just that experience, I think, of 
of meeting people and seeing the next generation of fans um, who are taking their first steps into a world of hurt and pain and misery and disappointment. Um, that that reminded me of why <laughs> why I love Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, I think that's a fair one. I think there's a couple for me. I think one one would be, to be honest, watching Alexis Sanchez this season has been a, a real pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. I know that he drives some people mad, but he is an explosive and enthralling talent and someone who I think could have graced any Arsenal team. I really do. Mm. And, uh, I, I, you know, there's something about him, that kind of that character uh, that reminds me of people like you know Ian Wright and Thierry Henry other great goal scorers that we've had and uh, I've really enjoyed that and you know it's lovely to see an attacker of that quality on the the personal front I think when we went over to New York and met all the Arsenal fans out there and saw how you know how how much the club is loved uh, even you know on foreign shores, it really showed me how big Arsenal is and how big a th- and how great it is a thing to be a part of on a kind of global scale. So that yeah. was really cool. Yeah, that's a really good uh, one actually. I'm sorry I've forgotten that one, but I think uh, we can blame the people who bought us all the shots uh, during the yeah. show. <laughs> sort of obliterated <laughs> my memory. <laughs> yeah, I think they were allowed to forget some of that. Yeah. So that was that was a very cool thing. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I think that's. I mean, that's that's. I think part of it is we get so, sometimes so. Of course, the football is the thing. It's the main thing. But there's so much that goes on before a game and after a game from a social point of view, from a friendship point of view, that if you're watching the games in isolation, you know, perhaps on a stream and you don't have anyone to talk to about it other than people online or drink with before the game or after the game, you kind of, I guess it would be easy to, to get as disenfranchised as some people have become. And I'm not saying that those feelings are, are in any way wrong. You know, people can feel how they feel, but s- surrounding football and surrounding Arsenal is an, another layer of humanity, of, of, of uh, being social, of meeting people, of being out there in the real world and just, you know, the football was good, the football was bad. Either way, we're just going to hang out and have a good time. So I think that's a really important part of it. And that was very evident, of course, in, in New York. But it's there when you go to games as well. And, uh, and maybe it says as much that those things that are happening off the pitch are the things that remind us uh, rather than on the pitch. It probably tells its own story. But, you know, again, we are where we are. Yeah, we are indeed. Uh, any, any more? Yeah, I do. Um, let me just see here. There was one from... Oh, I should close the ones that I'm not using. Jake Varney, who's at Varney Jake, says, Do the injuries and suspensions force us to revert to a back four for the FA Cup final? And Gareth Ewers, who's at Gareth Ewers, uh, says, With Koss out for the final and Gabriel out too, is now the time to try Mertesacker in the back three? Or is that to put too much on him? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just chime into this. Rob, uh, Robin Illingworth, who's at Bob Illingworth on Twitter, said, "Could Bellerin work in a back three? He hasn't played there. No, yet. No, 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 the no, 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 no. It's a no. no from you. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no way, no way. Why? I think it might be worth a go. Why? <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I don't know. I just think if an Azpilicueta or a Monreal can fill in uh, on the, as a wide central defender, why couldn't Bellerin? Because I think uh, they're both more experienced. I think uh, Monreal is 
understands the game a bit more than Hector Bellerin, who's still a young guy who's learning. Uh, I, I don't think Bellerin is as good in the air as someone like Monreal. I think Monreal's He's a like fairly that. underrated player from that point of view. He wins a lot of headers. You know, it wasn't long ago mm-hmm. that the way to get at Arsenal was just ping a diagonal towards the left back area, and Clichy would sort of let it. You know, just would never win the ball. So I think Monreal is just a, a more experienced defender. I, I, I would be like shitting it if Hector Bellerin was forced into action in the back three at this even point though, of his career. Even though that gives you the Alex Oxley Chamberlain, you know, right wing back, it's kind of a, a like for like there. Well, you know, I think we've got a, a few options, right? Um, let, let's assume that Mustafi is fit. If Mustafi's fit, that would be great. <laughs> but if Mustafi was fit, w- what would you do in terms of the the back three? Because I think you could you could bring Mertesacker in, and you could have Mertesacker yeah. holding and Mustafi, and you could have Bellerin on the right, Monreal on the left. Now, the manager yeah. might feel that's a bit much to ask of Mertesacker just to come in and start his first game of the season in a cup final against a team as good as Chelsea. So you could have Monreal holding and Mustafi, Mustafi as the central yeah. defenders. And then you've got Gibbs, potentially. No. No, ah. you don't have Gibbs. I would be unhappy if Kieran Gibbs was starting the FA Cup final. You've got Bellerin on the right. I would play Oxlade-Chamberlain as the left-sided wing-back mm. if, if Mustafi was fit. And he had Monreal as part of the back three. I would have Oxlade-Chamberlain as the left-sided wing-back. What if Mertesacker is fit, uh, is, is deemed able to start? Mm. Are you then would you, do you then have Oxlade Chamberlain on the bench? Yep. Right. Yep. He's not lucky with cup finals, that guy. Is he's he? not lucky at all. But you know, Bellerin has played well since Oxlade Chamberlain has, has been well. out. He's had an assist in the last game or the, the game before that against Stoke. He scored a goal. He was dangerous um, from an attacking point of view. So I, I just think you keep the player who's in form. I do wonder, you know, whether Arsene Wenger will think that way. He might feel like he owes Oxlade-Chamberlain, but I don't think you can go into an FA Cup final against Chelsea and give do someone a favour. you got to pick the best no. team. Whatever about fucking Hull and uh, shit Aston Villa, you, you pick the best team. I mean, people have been asking about... Uh, people have been asking about... Petr Cech and David Ospina, I think that's a no-brainer. It's got to be Petr Cech. And just to clear up a couple of things, people are saying, can we appeal to Koscielny sending off and thus delay it and allow him to play? I don't think that's possible because things are fast-tracked and people have been asking about Callum Chambers. Can he come back? Can he play? And the answer to that is no, because he's uh, he's cup-tied. He already played in the FA Cup for Middlesbrough this season, so that's yeah. not the only an option. back who we can get back, I believe, is Christian Bielik, whose season with Ch- uh, Birmingham has uh, ended. So if we, if, they, if we lose any more, and just in pure numbers terms mm. need one, he's the guy, but he's not going to play the FA Cup final. No. So, for me, I, I would go... Uh, I think I would go Murtasaka, Mustafi, Holding, because I think that Monreal at left wing-back is uh, mm. such a bonus there. And, and basically, my slight fear is that Arsene will go holding uh, Mustafi Monreal because he'll think it's too big a game for Mertesacker. And I, I, I think Arsene would pick Kieran Gibbs at, le- at left wing back. Blech. Blech. 
Yeah. No, not to be disrespectful to Kieran Gibbs, but, you know... <laughs> I think he would go with the, the guy who's at least played there a few times rather than Oxlade-Chamberlain, which is something I've suggested myself, but Oxlade-Chamberlain out there, but... I just can't see it. I think, you know, Mertesacker, I understand he's not played all season long, but he has trained. He looked pretty good against Everton. And in mm. the back three, he'll be more protected than he was against Everton, than, you know, in a back in a back four. I, I think it's I think it's worth a go. I think, given the, the lack of options, I think he's got to be a really strong contender. And also, in, in Cristiano, we've lost a leader too. So, mm. you know, Mertesacker, as club captain, comes in. Can you see it, or do you think it's a stretch? Um, it, it's a stretch. I guess we'll find out a bit more during the during the week. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what he's going to do. It's uh, yeah. I mean, we have options though. That's that's. The do you think there's thing. any chance of a bat four? That that was the original question, I guess. Uh, I hope not, because you know we've won seven of eight with the bank three. The team looks like it's coping well with the back three. I think it has re-energised us, if not necessarily defensively fully, but from an attacking point of view. Um, so, so no, I would be really, that would be, I'd be unhappy if we did that because it also allows, it allows us to get the best out of Xhaka and Ramsey who seem to be thriving in, in, the, uh, in the system that we're using at this moment in time. So I think that, that would be the worry for me is that it would just, destabilize everything having had to go through a little period where we had to stabilize with a back three to then go back to the back four i think that would be a mistake i agree and i can't see it happening to be honest i think the team's too accustomed to playing with this shape the the, the other big selection dilemma of course revolves around uh, the center forward i think it'd be interesting to see what happens there ah yes there was a, one final question i guess uh, it comes from sam at sam j baptiste and he said, is the Danny Welbeck assist uh, for Hector Bellerin the most Danny Welbeck thing to ever happen? Far from elegant, but effective. FFS, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, uh, my admiration for Danny Welbeck knows few bounds. I, I really like the guy. And I, I felt for him a bit yesterday because it felt like an audition to play centre-forward. And then, first of all, that happened. Then the sending off happened. And he actually played predominantly kind of on the left side, really, of of midfield I mean he rotated with Alexis but it was mm. Alexis up top once we went down to 10 men um, and I feel like he you know didn't necessarily get the chance to shine that he might have done nevertheless he missed a few chances I mean there was obviously that one in the build up to the Bellerin goal he had a one on one saved uh, early on he sort of couldn't sort his feet out of the near post their keeper was good actually in fairness he yeah, made a he lot decent. of saves you know against 10 yeah. men so yeah, yeah, and Czech made some decent saves too. Mm. But I think uh, I think what I'd say about Weber because you're right. It, the question's right. He's kind of untidy at times and in front of goal. But we did start very well yesterday, and we looked very fluent, especially with eleven men. We were mm. creating chances. We looked dangerous going forward, and I do think that we're a more fluid team with him in there. I also look at the final, and I think Giroud and Welbeck are both going to play a part against Chelsea. They will both be on the pitch at some stage. And I think the better way round is Welbeck first and then Giroud. Yes. I think that's basically how I view it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to look at Danny Welbeck sometimes and think he's like a, a souped-up 
Sonogo in a way, in the sense that <laughs> he he yeah. he can cause this kind of chaos. And even in the the build up to the Ramsey goal, he was fouled, I think. But as he fell down, he got a toe on the ball, which gave it to Ozil, and Ozil went outside the defender and passed to to Ramsey for the goal. So you know, I think he does cause more. Um, more damage in the final third. He's more mobile. He'll get into positions. He'll he'll help us stretch the play a bit more than Olivier Giroud would. But the issue, I suppose, with Welbeck is the goals. You know, they they don't they don't happen enough. Mm. Whereas mm. Giroud has got those goals. But I completely agree with you that if you are looking for a player to come off the bench and make an impact. It wouldn't necessarily be Danny Welbeck. It would be Olivier Giroud. So I, I think we should start with, with Welbeck. I mean, the other option that we would have is to perhaps start with Alexis up front and bring in Alex Iwobi. That might be another option. In the last two games, he's come on and looked pretty lively as well. But I do feel like Arsene Wenger, I, I'm not sure he'd go that far for an FA Cup final. Uh, I think Alexis would prefer to play behind the striker just to get more on the ball where he's been more comfortable over the last um, the last few weeks, you know. So yeah, yeah, I think so. He's better sort of, you know, with the goal in front of him rather than with his back to goal. And I think. Uh, you know, well, he's a little bit like a kind of early Arsenal period Emmanuel Adebayor at times. You know, he had all the athleticism and decent technique, certainly better than Sonogo, but he, he just couldn't finish. I remember a game at Portsmouth where Adebayor missed two chances, like the one Welbeck uh, missed yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're all hoping that he's going to kind of develop that finishing touch that Adebayor eventually did, but I don't know. Uh, I think that what I'd say about Welbeck is... I feel like you get more from Urzel and Alexis with Welbeck as the spearhead than you do from Giroud. Yeah. And maybe that's what we have to do. We have to emphasise our strengths and think, you know, that's the way to go. Mm. And and look, both... It's almost like both are kind of in the team. It's just a question of who's playing more minutes. Both will play against Chelsea at some stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, look, uh, we'll have more FA Cup final discussion in the Arscast Extra live... Live. Live. Uh, which is taking place on Thursday night at Union Chapel. So we're looking forward to seeing uh, those of you who got tickets there. We will have uh, lots of FA Cup final chat. We've got guests. Uh, we'll do the usual Q&A stuff. We might have some little prizes, maybe some delicious prizes. Say no more, James. Mm. Um, and uh, that, if you can't make it to the live show, will be available for you on Friday as uh, the Arscast. So we'll talk about what might happen uh, in the FA Cup final, how we're going to set up and everything else. Um, so looking forward to that, to see you there. Um, to everyone else, thank you. Uh, thanks as ever for listening. A season gone, James. Can you can you believe it? It's just Another fucking... one bites the dust. Yeah. 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 And, still, and still we carry on. Keep on podcasting, guys. Keep on podcasting. Yes. All right. Well, look, we will. <laughs> we will. Uh, it's been a bit, a bit of a long show this one. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks to everyone. Um, you know, I, I feel like even today I wrote the blog, and today's blog was two thousand over two thousand words, and we've spoken right. on this podcast now for the best part of an hour and a half, maybe a little bit more, and I still feel like we're only kind of scratching the surface of what's going on. It's, yeah. um, it's. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. It's crazy times. Crazy times. Right. We're going to go, and we'll see you on Thursday. If not, we'll uh, talk to you on Friday, and of course, um, after the FA Cup final next week. So until then, have a good one, folks. Bye bye.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.